Afternoon, church. We're reading today from 1 Peter 2, 4 to 10. And let me just remind you that this is the word of God. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Good morning, friends. Thank you, David. And thank you, Evan. Um, while, while I'm brushing up on my Afrikaans, it was great that you could stand in for me this morning. It's lovely. What a wonderful day it is to have um, baptized a baby into the family of God. It's just worth remembering, friends, that it, our view is, is that it is possible uh, to be part of the family of God by association, but obviously at some point in the future, we pray that the Lord will reveal himself to Micha in a real way in his heart by his spirit. Um, but what a joy to be part of that this morning. My name is Grant. If you're new, if you're a visitor, I'm so glad to have you with us this morning, especially those who are family of Micha um, and associates of the family, we're so glad that you could be with us. It's our joy to welcome you. Our, our great uh, priority in our church is to hear from God, which we believe happens whenever the Bible is read and explained and preached. And so this is the high point, really, of our time together this morning as we hear from God. Just before I pray and we look at the passage that was read for us, uh, once a month, and this is a little bit awkward for our guests, this does not apply to you, this is for those who consider this church to be their home, but once a month we've undertaken just to report back to you to show you what's going on financially in our church, and so there should be a picture behind me of um, the finances, and just to let you know that 81 households gave in the month of July an income of 236 with a deficit of 8000 300. So just have a look at that. Um, it'll be sent out in the church uh, newsletter this week as well, so that you can just maybe think about um, any responses that you'd like to make to that. But that is just in the name of transparency. We'd like you to know what's going on financially. I'm going to pray now as we come to 1 Peter chapter 2. Father, we need your help. Please would you send your spirit with your word into each of our hearts to speak and to address, to, to address us individually. 
Lord, we, we want to be those who, as we heard last week, crave your word. With so many other things that we can crave in this world, we pray that now you would just remove all distractions and anxieties and concerns that we might be carrying with us. We pray that uh, your spirit would just help us for a moment to put those things aside as we hear and listen to your word. Speak to us, work in us powerfully, we pray, and change us so that Jesus will be made famous in this world. And we pray this for his name's sake. Amen. A few years ago, um, a new restaurant opened near where we lived, and it received rave reviews. It was the talk of the town. And so I took Lilibet there for coffee one day to have a look at what all the fuss was about. Uh, What they'd done was quite clever. They'd taken an electrical substation that had been decommissioned and turned it into a very, very trendy kind of uh, bistro. I noticed that there was a mezzanine floor, and I thought, I'm going to go and have a look upstairs, but I couldn't get past. There was a man standing at the bottom of the stairs, about a head taller than me, with his arms crossed, and there was a sign which said very clearly, members only. So I walked over to the manager to ask him about it, and it turns out that for a mere 50,000 rand per annum, you could join an exclusive club and receive VIP treatment. The manager very proudly told me that um, they were issuing, uh, it was a a by invitation only, they were issuing invitations to all the cultural movers and shakers in Durban, and, um, but if I wanted to join, I could pay 50,000 rand. He obviously didn't know who I was, and I waited for my invitation, must have got lost in the mail. Belonging to an exclusive club where membership has privileges appeals to us in a perverse way, does it not? The thought that we have got privileges that others don't can appeal to a very deep pride. Exclusivity and privilege, it appeals to us because it says something about us. It says that we are special, that we are unique, that we are deserving uh, of better treatment than others. Now, what we need to remember, and if you're here for the first time today, you've caught us in the middle of a series in the book of 1 Peter. It was written to a group of Christians who were scattered and who were beginning to be persecuted and tested in the Roman Empire. They were going through trials and tribulations. They were fast becoming social pariahs in the empire. They were fast facing opposition and hostility and ridicule. And eventually that would have culminated in state-sponsored persecution, though at the time that Peter writes, that hasn't been reached yet. But he can see the clouds gathering and he can see the trajectory of what it was to be a Christian in a pagan world. In chapter 1, he uses words like, you are scattered aliens, uh, refugees, strangers in the world. But what Peter wants them to see, and he wants us to see it this morning, is that they and us are unbelievably privileged people if we belong to the church of God. Though the world pitied them, perhaps at best, despised them at worst, they were actually the most privileged people in the world to belong to the Christian church. It didn't look like it. It didn't feel like it. 
And so Peter wrote them his letter, a letter that is really all about the privilege of being a Christian in the great church of God. Most of the time, it doesn't feel like a privilege to belong to the church. It's hard to feel privileged about being part of something that most of the world sees as irrelevant. The whole point of privilege or exclusivity is the idea of having something that nobody else has but everybody wants. If everybody wants it and I can get it, then I want it even if I don't want it, if you know what I mean. That's the whole idea. But of all the privileges that life might hold for you, the privilege of being a Christian and being part of the very people of God, well, it doesn't exactly stand out. Sometimes we're a bit embarrassed. And so what Peter is doing for us in this passage is he's realigning our view of God's church. It's going to be a help to us because if you only use your eyes, you'll never see it. You've got to be told. It's got to be revealed to us by God through the apostle. And so Peter uses three Old Testament pictures in this passage which show us how great a privilege it is to be part of the Christian church. And the first picture that he uses comes in verses 4 to 8, which I've entitled, The Place of God. The Place of God. Verse 4 describes a Christian as someone who has come to Jesus. Look at verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Now just pause there for a moment. I want you to notice Peter's definition of what it means to be part of the, part of the Christian church. It's somebody who has come to him. Can we just be clear about that? I know that most of us would agree with this statement, but it's just worth seeing it for ourselves. The thing that makes you a Christian is not that you come to church. That's a very common view. The thing that makes you a Christian is not even that you were baptized into church, as Ivan clearly stated for us this morning. The thing that makes you a Christian is that you've come to him, to the Lord Jesus. Can we just, re, can we just grab that truth again? I know that, that we know that we agree with that, don't we? It's not church attendance that makes us Christians. It's coming to Jesus. That's our prayer for Micha, isn't it? That a day will come when he, in his own way, will come to the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. You are the church because you have come to Jesus. And verse 4 and 5 says you are being built up in him. And Peter uses this very unusual picture of a living stone. Um, you also, like living stones, verse 5, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. It's a picture of a building project where God is the architect and the builder and where Jesus is the perfect stone chosen for the corner of the building, for the foundation of the building. At the corner of the building, there is a stone that sets everything else in its place. It's the most important stone, for it gives the direction of the wall and sets the alignment for all of the other stones and how they are shaped and resting on this great perfectly shaped cornerstone, exactly the right size, the most important stone 
of all. In verses 6, 7, and 8, he quotes three Old Testament passages which talk about what God is doing in the world, using the analogy of a building. Look at verse 6. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. First and foremost, the cornerstone is put in place. The building has begun. As a person comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, they become part of God's great building project. All of the stones rely on the cornerstone, just like the Christian relies on the Lord Jesus Christ. A Christian is somebody who trusts in him and who lives in line with him, the cornerstone. And so what a privilege it is. We are incorporated into the very building of God as living stones, Peter says. Mind you, not everyone is included. Uh, Not because it's an exclusive club that only movers and shakers can be invited to, but because some reject the living stone. Look at verse 7. To you who believe, the stone is precious, but there's another group of people. To those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Notice there are two groups of people. There are those who come to him and there are those who reject him. Verse 7, they reject the stone. In verse 8, they stumble over the stone. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is not that Christians are better than anybody else. Often that is not the case. I've met many non-Christians that are much nicer than me. It's not that they are more talented or more influential. It's not that they are the great uh, paragons of our society, influencing. It's that Christians are part of the building project of God and non-Christians are involved with their own building project. That's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. We are part of the building project of God, whereas those outside of the Christian church are busy building their own things. It could be a family, it could be a name, it could be a reputation, it could be wealth, it could be a retirement fund, it could be lots of things that they are building and giving themselves to. But we are part of the building of God. What a privilege. They have discarded the perfect and living cornerstone. They devalue the chosen and precious cornerstone. They can't see any value in God's building. They think it's irrelevant. They think it's quaint. They think it's a bygone relic of some previous age. But what is the building that God is building with Jesus as the cornerstone? Did you see it in verse 5? Being built into a spiritual house. What is a spiritual house? A temple. What is the significance of the temple? The temple is where God is. That's always how it was. That's why it's an Old Testament picture that Peter is using for these scattered Gentiles. The building that he has in mind is nothing less than the place of God, the temple. That's what God is doing in the world. He's building his kingdom. 
The temple was really the epicenter of the kingdom of God in the Old Testament, for it is where God was thought to have resided. The temple was full of priests and sacrifices. It was the place where you found forgiveness. It was the place that you went to to pray. It was really the place where heaven and earth met, was the great temple in the heart of Jerusalem, in the heart of the nation. But the temple that God is building is a spiritual temple. It's no longer located in a particular land, confined by a particular building. This has to do with people from all over the world. It's a spiritual temple kingdom that God is building as he gathers people to his son through the ages, across the cultures, built like stones from all over the world. One of the questions that I often get asked by my non-Christian friends is, what about those who have never heard? And normally the person that they have in mind is the pygmy in Central Africa. Have you had the question? What about the pygmy in Central Africa that has never heard the gospel? It was, it's, a, it's not actually an easy question to answer, by the way. There's a lot that needs to be said about it, so it's a serious question. But a few years ago, I was so excited to hear that the correspondence Bible teaching course that our Bible college has, it's called Explore, was being done by 400 pygmies in Central Africa. Isn't that an amazing thing? So, so we've got to find a different group of people now to use as an illustration. But it was such a wonderful reminder to me that the church of God, the temple that God is building, the spiritual house, it really does include everybody, doesn't it? It's not just for Westerners or for people who live in a certain country or speak a certain language. It is one of the remarkable things about the Christian message is that you don't have to become an English-speaking Westerner in order to become a Christian. You've heard me say this before from this pulpit, but it is one of the, the great proofs of Christianity. If I want to become a Muslim, I've got to become an Arab. Culturally, I've got to change my name, I've got to change my diet. If I want to become a Hindu, I've got to become Indian in culture and name and diet and language. But not so with Jesus. For the spiritual building that God is building is from people all over the world. Built like stones, as people come and put their trust in Jesus, they are included into this great edifice. If you only use your eyes, you'll never see it. But it's the most, most marvelous building that has ever been built. What a great privilege to be part of that. You are the place of God. Secondly, we are the people of God. Verse 9 and 10. You are a chosen people. It literally in the Greek says, you are the chosen race. Wow. Well, that's a phrase that has been used for great evil in our world, hasn't it? The chosen race. You know, it would have been a remarkable thing for Peter to say this to them, for they were not Jews, they were Gentiles. And actually, all the way through 1 Peter, he draws a lot of the Old Testament imagery in to make the point that though they are Gentiles, they are part of God's people. They are the chosen people of God. All the way through the letter, he associates them 
with the chosen race. What a lot, lot that would have meant to them, and it does to us as well. What a privilege. If you are a Christian South African, you are actually part of another nation, a holy nation, a chosen race, the people of God. In a world that is obsessed with race, it is worth remembering that the Bible only knows of two races. There is the race of Christ and there is the race of Adam. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 5. The race of Adam are those who reject the cornerstone. The race of Christ is anybody, including pygmies, who accept the cornerstone. So can you see that actually the, the club that we belong to, if you like, is vastly inclusive for anybody can be part of the spiritual house and the chosen race. The wonder is, is that if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, you might look different to me. You might have a vastly different background to mine. But we're part of the same race because of what Jesus has done. Christians are a holy nation set apart for God. Of course, in the era of the Old Testament, that was exclusively the Jewish nation. But in the era of Jesus, that has been blown open to include everybody. Of course, that was always God's plan, even in the Old Testament. And so there is a house that God is building in this world, a spiritual house that we are all part of, those who are aligned with the cornerstone. But there is also a nation that God is building in this world, a people belonging to God. Um, verse 10, once you were not a people, once you had not received mercy, but now you are the people of God, you have received mercy. You know, the, the ESV says you are the possession of God. Isn't that lovely? You belong to God. You see, what an encouragement that would have been to the, to the original audience. You, you Romans who are about to persecute us, can you remember for a moment that we are the possession of the true and living God? Beware. Don't mess with God's people. Be warned if you persecute a Christian, God takes it personally, for they belong to him. Or to those who try to divide the church, be warned if you try, try to divide the church, God takes it personally, it's his church. We are his people. Or if you belittle the importance of church, be careful, these are the people that Christ has shed his blood for. They are precious to God. We are the people of God. Thirdly and finally, we are the priests of God. We are the place of God. If you want to find God, go and hang out with the Christians because that's where God is. We are the people of God, but now we are the priests of God. And Peter says it, twice in this passage, in verse 5 and in verse 9. Uh, that's exactly what you expect to find in temples, isn't it, is priests. 
And the distinctive activity of a priest is to act as a mediator between people and God by offering sacrifices. Now look at verse 5. Uh, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now hold on a minute. Hasn't, uh, haven't we already established that the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was the final sacrifice, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. But here Peter is saying, actually, you are a royal, you are a holy priesthood making spiritual sacrifices. Well, what is he talking about? What are these spiritual sacrifices that are to be offered? Well, he's not talking about animals. He says spiritual. He's talking about living holy lives, which is what he's been talking about in all of chapter 1. He's been talking about us being obedient children, chapter 1, verse 14, being holy, chapter 1, verse 15, loving one another sincerely, chapter 1, verse 22. Those are the spiritual sacrifices that are required from us as priests in God's house. It's really just another way of talking about our life together corporately as fellow spiritual stones being built up by God. We are honoring God. We are living for God. We are being obedient to God. We are dedicating our lives to him and to one another as we line up with the great cornerstone. And so we are called a holy priesthood in verse 5. So be holy. Just look down to verse 11 with me, which wasn't read this morning. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. That's a spiritual sacrifice. As we fight sin and as we love each other energetically, as we heard last week, and as we are determined to be godly in a world that is full of darkness and ungodliness. Those are our spiritual sacrifices. But he also in verse 9 calls us, so verse 5, we are a holy priesthood. In verse 9, we are a royal priesthood. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, he says. Here is the second function for us as priests in the building. By the way, it's not just me that's the priest. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, the New Testament's consistent view is that you are a priest. That's just worth saying, isn't it? There's confusion about that still in our world today, that uh, there are, there's a certain class of Christian who are priests. Um, but actually the Bible's view is that we are all priests. I, have an Aust I had an Australian friend who was really a mentor to me. He's gone to be with the Lord now. He actually preached in this church years ago. Some of the, some of the ancient ones here I might remember him. His name was Chapo. And Chapo was a real character, and he, had, he was an Anglican minister in, from Sydney. And he tells this lovely story one day. He was in the cathedral for a meeting in Sydney, St. Andrew's Cathedral. And St. Andrew's Cathedral is in the middle of town, lots of homeless people, displaced people around that, that cathedral. And as he was walking out of the cathedral, there was a homeless man on the stairs who said to him in an Australian accent, which I won't try and copy, say a, pray, a prayer for me, Father. 
said the homeless man, to which John Chapman said, say a prayer for yourself, you lazy coot. (laughs) Isn't that lovely? (laughs) It's... It's, he said it very deliberately. He did, he did spend time with him, don't worry. Um, but he wanted him to understand that actually he needs to go and sort himself out with the Lord. Don't, I'm not a priest that will do that for you. We all, Because of the death of Jesus, we all have direct access to God, don't we? And so we are priests, both holy and now, verse 9, royal And I think that there is a second function here. Just look closely at verse 9 with me again. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. I hope you don't think it's only the job of the minister to declare the praises of God. It's our job as priests in the spiritual building that God is busy with. We are called to be proclaimers, proclaiming the excellencies of God, praising God. Again, it's worth saying there's confusion about praising God. We've got a very narrow view of praising God as just being singing. But actually the verb that is used in verse 9 is declaring. That we may declare the praises of him. Now of course you can do that in song. But it's bigger than that. It is just telling people your story. It's telling people what God has done for you. I've met numbers of Christians who keep telling me what they are doing for God. They in a sense are declaring their own praises. But let's be those who declare God's praises, looking for opportunities to tell people how God has saved us and forgiven us. That's all it means to be a royal priest, somebody who's willing to tell their story. Let me tell you what God has done for me. He's forgiven me. He's changed me. He's included me, and he's brought me in to this great building We are the place of God. He lives in us and amongst us. We are the people of God. He's chosen us as his own. And we are the priests of God. He wants us to live lives that are holy in the world and to not be shy to declare his praises so that he is glorified. This is who you are if you are a Christian. You are part of the most wonderful society in the history of of the world. What a powerful picture of what it means to be a Christian. What a privilege to be part of this organization, this family, this building, this race, this priesthood. If you are not a Christian and you're here this morning, can I say how wonderful it is that you're here? Delighted that, you, that you've come. Jesus is held out to you again today. You don't have to pay 50,000 rand to be part of this society. You don't have to be a shaker and a mover. You don't have to be an impressive person. You don't have to be educated. You don't have to be beautiful. You don't have to be good. You can be a total mess. But Jesus wants you as part of this building. Do you know what's interesting about that exclusive restaurant club that I told you about? 
It doesn't exist anymore. It lasted about 10 years. And do you know that that'll be true of everything that we build? Name, reputation, wealth, family, business, whatever it is. But the Christian church, 2,000 years and counting. Don't you want to be part of that? Let's pray. Father, the works of our hands, the things that we build are fleeting. But your kingdom, your building lasts forever. And what an unbelievable privilege that we can be part of that, living stones with the Lord Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. Father, we pray that you would help us to recognize the great privilege that we have. The only sure and steady anchor, the Lord Jesus our capstone. I pray for those, Lord, who might be within the sound of my voice this morning, who do not believe, for whom the capstone has been a stumbling block and been rejected. Be merciful to them, I pray, and draw them to yourself. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the reminder of who we are because of all that Christ has done for us. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and end our time together by singing Christ the Sure and Steady Anchor, which seems a fitting song for us to end on. So will you stand and let's raise our voices together. Blow through. 